Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. First, we're going to turn to Luke 23, 32 through 43, which we have here. And I'm not going to sound as good as my friend Richard, but I'm going to take a portion of what he read, and uh, we're going to expand on a little bit. So I want to focus, put a magnifying glass on the two criminals that were on side of Jesus. So two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice or casting lots. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested and said, Don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we all know Jesus replied, I assure you, to this day, you will be with me in paradise. Thank you. Let's just pray real quick. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity. Lord, I would invite you here in your spirit here, God, but you are already here. Your power and your mercy and your sacrifice is being celebrated here. Lord, please bless me as I speak your words, not mine, as we learn together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all very much. You all may be seated. Here in the text that we just read, we're jumping right in the middle of Jesus' pain and suffering that Jesus endured this day. He had already been scourged and ripped flesh from his back, beaten, and lost a lot of a good amount of blood before making the walk outside the city to the place of the skull. The place of the skull was a designated hill dedicated for death. It was very well known. And it was found within a mile or so outside the city. A mile's a long time to walk for some of us. Imagine the pain and suffering and being able to make that is probably lasted forever. But Jesus could still see the city of Jerusalem from the place and the same place his father's temple was at in the distance while being crucified. Now we could talk hours about the details of the horrific act of crucifixion. But tonight I want to bring your attention to the people who were gathered around the crucifixion. And Jesus' last message in his physical earthly body to all those who would listen. 
The message tonight is titled, Mercy Remembers. Now, we're told in Luke that there was a crowd that was watching, and we had leaders that were scoffing. We had the disciples that were there watching in sorrow and shock. And then we also had the Roman guards that were mocking him. While Jesus was displayed as a sinner among other sinners, trying to hide his identity, trying to hide the fact that he was a king. And everything they told him was about mocking him and acting like he was not king. They were trying to deliver the message that his kingship was non-existent. Everyone there was truly on the edge of emotion. Start off with the crowd that gathered. Just earlier that week, they had welcomed Jesus as a king with praise. When he rode into the don- with it on a donkey, but they did not understand the kingdom that he was establishing. In turn, they were raged. They were upset that they would not be freed from Rome. But, of course, there are others in the crowd that just came because there was a show. Something was happening, and the crowds could have been large. In those crowds, we had the disciples. Our second group of people we talk about today, they were distressed and mortified that not only their friend that they have traveled for over three years with, but their rabbi, their God, and their king was being executed. On top of that, the thought of their Messiah that was supposed to be taking the throne of David was now slipping away. And doubt and grief started beginning in their mind, and they thought that the Messiah would never take the throne now, and it started to become impossible in their minds. There we see that we have the religious leaders. They were finally getting revenge on Jesus for shaking up their theology and threatening their power over the people as he questioned their motives. Now, there were some that didn't have a hatred for him, from taking their power, but they were so consumed with the law itself and the commandments that they missed the reason why they were even written in the first place. And they completely misidentified and were not worried about the Messiah that was to come. Now we have the Roman guards. Now for these guys, it was just another day on the job, executing another rebel. They had seen this many times before, but still had that thrill of slapping someone down and ending the life of someone that might oppose the empire. And today was just the day that they were going to kill and execute the one the Jews called the Son of God. And lastly, we have the two criminals. They both saw the very same thing. They witnessed and experienced the same thing than the other did. Yet they had two very different reactions. The first one to open his mouth was only to add mockery that was add to the mockery that was taking place. And the other, uh, the other criminal understood something that many people in that room, including some of the disciples, did not fully understand yet. Now notice I said understand. Now Pastor Bobby has said many times in many ways that power comes from understanding. Nothing can be yours until you understand it. Once you understand the truth, it becomes undeniable in your life. And it will begin to transform you from the inside out 
and you will see fruit being produced. Now, in the heat of the moment is when our true nature comes out. So we see all these people come around. It doesn't matter who is watching. They were reacting to what was happening. We can look back and see, oh, this happened and this happened. But it was very chaotic and very emotions were rising in this moment. It was the highlight of the day. Plus, they were trying to prepare for Passover. So they were trying to do this. They're trying to do this. Everything was happening, and no one fully understood what was going on. But I believe the criminal had, a, had an idea. So Jesus was heckled, mocked, and made fun of. Now, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We all know this. And not only what we say, but our demeanor and our physical reactions automatically respond in a way they're used to responding. Now, when Jesus went through all of that, never once did he respond with anything but acknowledgement for his kingship. Power doesn't need to speak, and authority can speak for itself. Even after the torture and the ridicule Jesus endured, he responded in love. After all the pain and exhaustion he was forced to endure, Jesus delivered one of the greatest messages he had ever preached. He responded to cruelty with a prayer. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We don't know if Jesus prayed loud enough for the entire crowd to hear, but we do know that his message was heard with an audience of at least two. The second criminal witnessed the forgiveness given by Jesus. And then he acknowledged Jesus' kingship when he, the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you enter in your kingdom. That brings me to my first point for us is the greatest message you can preach is forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is the message that the two criminals heard. They experienced lesser pain than Jesus did because Jesus, on top of crucifixion, had all the extra package that the Romans had to give. And then they were mocking him as a king as well. So he got the crown of thorns and the extra brutal mentality. And so not only did they witness Jesus respond this way, but he had it worse than they did. And he responded as the king they said he wasn't. The greatest message is in the moment. So you can preach and you can send emails and prepare a post and say all the right things. But the greatest message to your friends, your family, people you know, is going to be in the moment when something happens. See, we are not a Christian because of our bumper sticker, our T-shirts, our cross necklace we wear. We are citizens of the kingdom because we act for the king. And by our words and our actions are we identified. And we know who we serve and who we come from which we all know is King Jesus. Now, both criminals saw no kingdom, no castle, no army, and we know that if Jesus caused an uprising, first of all, he could call down 12 legions of angels. One angel we know from previous studies 
wiped out over 100,000 people. So 12 legions of angels will not be an earth left. Even if it wasn't that, his followers alone could have been in the hundreds or thousands, could have had an uprising. But Jesus did not call that either. They did not see a kingdom, the castle, the army. But what they did see was love and forgiveness. They saw the heart of the king. Forgiveness sets you free. We've heard this a hundred times over, but it's a twofold message because, yes, we know that Jesus forgives us of our sins. We submit to him. And we are free from our sin and get to live with him. We know this. But on the other side of this coin, we also have to forgive others because if we don't forgive, automatically we know our Father will not forgive us. But there's also something attached to that because you could be believing in Jesus and try to live your life the best you can with his help and living a holy life. But if you're holding on to baggage, you're holding on to hatred for other people, you are not truly free. So forgiveness has to come to you at the same time it's going out to others. Just as in the Lord's prayer, he said to pray to God, forgive me for my sins as we forgive others who sin against us. Now, God chooses to forgive and forget our sins. He chooses to do so. But he can never forget us or the sacrifice that was made for us. Now, someone, someone here might feel kind of like I did sometimes when you feel forgotten. Okay? A couple of stories real quick is when I first started the church, I shared this with my pastors earlier, was... The church was upcoming. It was, they were building stuff, fixing stuff, painting, all kinds of stuff. Everyone here seemed to be a master tradesman. Okay? They had uh, carpenters, electricians, plumbers, concrete guys. It didn't matter. They could do everything. If you wanted a barbecue pit, boom, it's on the back of their truck. They had everything ready. And I ran a fast food restaurant. I had nothing to give at that moment. So that's when we decided we'll just help wherever we can. So we helped little here and little here. Wherever there's a spot, we wanted to make sure that everything was covered. And when you compare yourself to other people, that's very dangerous because you don't know their story. You don't know where God has brought them, and you don't know why they were planted here. You also don't know where God is leading you because even though I had nothing physically to give at that moment, I felt like the little drummer boy with no drum. I have, I have no gift to bring, so I'll beat my drum. There was no drum. I had nothing. I was like, I feel really bad right now that I can't really do any of this cool stuff they're doing. But God had planted me here and my family here for future events, for future things to happen. So now I'm able to help. Now I'm able to teach kids and help with the cafe and do everything we need to do because God was in, invested in us and planting us. And everyone here has been planted here for a reason for a season in your life that you will be able to bloom and you will be able to help the kingdom as well. Now, dry prayers is the best way I can describe it. When you're praying, and I've had this many times before, and it's happened this week, and I'll say about two or three months ago, actually September, I was praying. If Some of y'all don't know our story exactly, but I have a four-year-old daughter, and she has double hip dysplasia. And we've gone through, God has worked so many ways to help out what could have been a really bad situation and made it much better. 
And this last praise report that we had, we had a negative x-ray. We had said, hey, this is not getting any better. We're going to have to do surgery. All this work has to be done. It's going to be five, six-hour surgery. And for a father, that's not easy to hear, especially with your little girl. So we prayed. We fasted. We, we did all these things. And honestly, we, we scheduled the, the surgery. We said, you know, we're going to go through it. We'll, we'll fix everything up. And we prayed the whole week before. And honestly, I was disappointed. I felt nothing. I felt dry. I'm like, God, I need you to do something here. Two days before the surgery, I get a missed call from the surgeon, and I wasn't able to answer. The next day, I called him. We played phone tag. Finally got a hold of him on Friday. The surgery was like the next Wednesday. And he goes, I'm so glad. As a surgeon himself, her doctor said, I'm so glad I got a hold of you. I said, yeah, everything. We're prepared for the surgery. We're doing everything, you know, doing the best we can. And he said, actually, this whole week, the whole week I've been praying and fasting, he had been talking to his colleagues and other specialists around the country, showing them pearls. Because he's always said pearl is a special case, but he's never seen both hips out so far badly. He said, but he was so impressed with the last x-ray that he questioned himself and started talking to someone in Louisiana, I think somewhere in North United States. And they started to get involved because they're like, so they haven't had any other surgeries and the legs have gotten better? That normally doesn't happen. So he called, yes, praise the Lord. Because if you know me at all, you know that I'm a helicopter dad. I am super scared of everything with my parents. parents parenting is amazing, but at the same time, it is also terrifying. Okay? So when he told me that, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, wow, like it didn't hit me yet. I was like, okay, what does that mean? He goes, everything we planned, I feel is not needed. He said that, Maybe she might need surgery in the future. Maybe she might need something else. But instead of this huge surgery and body cast and all these things, cutting bone and all this extensive stuff, he goes, she might just need a brace at nighttime. I was like, so what are you trying to tell me? And he said, if it's okay with you, I'd like to cancel the surgery and regroup. I said, hey, you have no idea. That's been our prayers all week long. So I tell you that story to say that I have prayed and fasted and felt nothing for a whole week. I was like, God doesn't give me anything. I don't know what to do. We'll just go ahead with it. And the entire time, God has gone before me, and he has been preparing the way. So when I got there, he had already saw the work that already was done. So when you feel forgotten and you feel like you don't compare to other people or you feel God doesn't hear you, we're going to talk about how why. Jesus cannot forget you. It's impossible. And we're going to look into that. Now we'll look into, let's read another scripture when it talks about the disciple Thomas. Okay? Jesus cannot forget. We'll do John 20, verse 27. So then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put, in, put your hand into my wound on my side. Be faithless, no, be faithless any long. I'm sorry, I slaughtered that. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. So when Jesus was healed, as we know is going to happen, after Good Friday, his body's completely healed. For some reason, there's everything is healed on his body except the scars in his side, the scar in his side, and the scars on his hands. 
we look back to Isaiah 49, 14, 16. My second, well, we'll go to the verse first. This is God speaking. And he says, back in Isaiah, way before in the Old Testament, he said, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. That could have summed up my week of prayer right there very easily. But then God continues in response, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she have no compassion for the son in her womb? Even these may forget. Even the mother may forget. But behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The scripture is translated in different ways. It's engraved, inscribed. It means to cut out. He is cut out of his hands and his palms. Our sacrifice that is always there. The piercing in his hands is exactly what was talked about here by God in Isaiah before Jesus ever walked the earth. There was already a plan for us. My second point is you are not forgotten. He cannot forget because he has the marks in his hands to remember the sacrifice. Now, the city walls, I was going to glance over, but I looked into it a little bit. And he says, your walls are constant, continually before me. And at first, us thinking, okay, our walls that we want to break through, we want to get through there. It's actually the complete opposite. He was talking to the whole nation of Israel, city, and he said that the walls represented a city's strength and security and success. He goes, your all walls are always before me. I'm not only remembering your sacrifice, but I'm always remembering your wellness and everything that's going to make you successful, I'm worried about it, and you should feel safely that I'm thinking about that always. Now, we will turn to, actually back to our story, because I don't want to miss over a part. Jesus did not forget the crowd or the disciples. Now, we talked about many different groups that were around that day, and Jesus was to make sure that he didn't miss any of them. So the first one, I want to read a chapter of Mark, verse 16. Sorry, chapter 16, verse 7. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was, who was crucified. He has risen, but he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. At this time, we know that the disciples were in the crowd. We talked about how they were mortified and they were sick to their stomachs to see what they've seen. But out of any of them who should be more worried was definitely Peter. Because not only did Jesus tell him he was going to stray away, he swore he would go to death before he did, and he ended up straying away. And Jesus already had it planned out. He goes, but when you do, Come back, strengthen your brothers. So the angel very clearly said, go tell the disciples that I'm going before them. I'm already making the way. They might not see me, but let them know everything's good. I'll meet you in Galilee like we planned. And not just the disciples, but they clearly said, and Peter. Make sure Peter knows because I know he's feeling it right now. Jesus did not forget the disciples and his followers. He made it clear. But he also did not forget the people responsible for his suffering. So we'll talk about the Roman guards. 
The Roman guards had many different gods that we know of. They, their main god was Zeus, god of lightning. And so whenever Jesus died and the, the sky went black and the earthquake came and the lightning struck, that was a message strictly to the Romans and everyone else around that he was exactly who he said he was. Now, Pastor Caleb preached on this a couple of months back as well, just like God did in Egypt when he presented the plagues of every single God that the Egyptians had to show them that he had more power than those gods they had. He was all in one. He was the God above all other gods or false gods to show his power. He did the exact same thing for the Romans, and we know that message worked because the Romans said, truly this was the Son of God. Now, the religious leaders was an interesting group because there was many different factions within them. But all the same, God had a message for them too. So if I was to sing a song that you all know, like Mary Had a Little Lamb, you would be able to pick up the rest of the song. You would know the tune, the harmony, and you could finish the whole thing with me just saying the first line of the song, not even giving you a title. Now, the Pharisees in particular, but the religious leaders knew the Bible back and forth. And they would have known when they heard Jesus say this line. He goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we've always heard that it was the first time God had, or Jesus had felt, you know, all the sin on his life and no that God's presence wasn't there and he was reacting to it. And that might be true. That might be exactly what happened. But those particular words are the first line of a song back in Psalms that the Pharisees would have known. Psalms 22. We're going to skip around through this chapter. Verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should have been a last call, a last grab at the Pharisees saying, hey, all these things you're claiming I'm not, but I want to remind you this was written already and you chose not to see it. Because as much as the Romans executed Jesus, they were just the knife or the tool that did the job. But it was the religious leaders that had him sacrificed. And they wanted to get rid of a pest. But what they did not know is Jesus orchestrated the whole thing where he had to be given as a sacrifice. Because the high priest has to sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he put Jesus to be sacrificed unknowingly so we all can be forgiven on the perfect Passover lamb. We'll skip down to verse 16, and it says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothings they cast lots. We even told in the New Testament that it was fulfilling prophecy just by his clothes being divided up. Just the smallest details, if they would have opened their eyes and looked around them and said, wait a minute, I think something's happening we might have missed. And it's not recorded at particularly any Pharisees, but there's no way that some of them really didn't have a shock and said, wait a minute, I see something now I haven't seen before. Because we know in the book of Acts that not only Pharisees, but Jewish people came and they joined the church. 3,001 day, they saw the, the, the message that Jesus was giving that day and reacted to it. Now, one thing about the religious leaders we saw when they talked to John the Baptist. 
was they were, they were safe because they were the seed of Abraham. They were in the right family at the right time. They didn't have to worry about it because God was going to take care of them. Well, at the end of this song, that covers that too. It was Jesus' last song, last message saying, hey, this, this one's for you. Verse 23 says, for you who fear the Lord, praise him. For you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him for all offspring of Israel. If they didn't get it then, they didn't want to see it in that moment. The key to all of that is that there was something happening for every single group of people that was there. Jesus wasn't able to speak on a mount, but with his actions, he showed love, forgiveness, justice, his kingship over everyone. One last time before being glorified to finish the kingdom being established. And I close with this thought. Just as a kingdom was established, we definitely need to bring that up. The Last Supper, we all know, we just did communion. We still do communion to this very day for the Lord's Supper. And we'll turn to Luke 22, verses 16 through 18. For I told you now that I will not eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, the Passover already has a huge importance, and we can't go over all those details today, but it goes back to Moses and with the angel of death passed over because of the blood of the lamb. And ever since then, it was the first feast God told them as a nation of Israel to celebrate the Passover. Now, we showed my kids the, 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 uh, the um, Prince of Egypt, and they showed all this stuff, and they're all into it. And Pearl raised a question. She goes, what, what if that happens? Because she's the firstborn, and she knows it. She's the oldest sister. And she said, what, what if this happens again? Like, she's a planner. If you don't know Pearl, she's four years old. She wanted to know, what if this happens again? What do we do? Okay? We were able to explain to her that the blood that is over our lives is more powerful than any lamb that ever was. That we no longer have to use lamb's blood, but Jesus' blood was good enough. And Pearl and Summer, when we pray every night, a part of their prayer is always, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. Because I know they know that what happens when you don't have the blood. Verse 17 says that he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He said it twice. He said, I'm not going to eat and drink until the kingdom of God has come. And a lot of times we look at that at first glance and say, wow, Jesus is not going to eat or anything. He's glorified until we all get to heaven. That is not the case. Because Jesus told him, even though we're not eating and drinking until the kingdom come, the scripture tells us that not only did Jesus sit and eat and drink with them, but the third time he appears to the disciples, he cooked them breakfast. He said, hey, come and eat with me. It comes down. He cooks breakfast, and he's eating, and he's drank with them. The kingdom is already established. The kingdom is already here for us to join him. Jesus told them, do this in remembrance of me. And just like he showed Thomas, he shows the scars in his hands to us and tells us, I did this in remembrance of you. God doesn't forget, but we forget. 
Let us never get to the point where become, we come blind or scales of our eyes. We don't understand when God is speaking to us, that we can see the signs and we feel God's presence and we listen to him as the good shepherd. Jesus will never forget you, never be against you, but he will always be working for you and has established the entire kingdom where we can rule with him. Everybody can stand to your feet and pray with me. With eyes closed and hands lifted as the music plays. This day has always been something I've wanted to, to celebrate. Not because obviously we said something good happened. Something good did happen. They just didn't know it at the moment. But Father God, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. But Lord, more than that, we thank you for the opportunity to join you in your kingdom. You went through all the trouble and all the things of the plans of the thousands of years of planning into this. Just so we could rule with you and in your kingdom. We thank you, God, as we know you will never forget us. You will always remember us. And Lord, we will always remember you. Thank you, Father God, for everything you have done for us. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.